Hey everybody, welcome to Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 255. Uh, this week, or I guess this episode, since we're going to try and do a couple episodes a week, at least for a little while while I have extra time, um, we have Willie Smokes Too Much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We also have Marty. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, uh, in case you guys aren't familiar, if it's your first time watching the show, we uh, cover all kinds of aquaponic living soil and cannabis content on this show. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight on a bit of a different night. Uh, Willie normally can't do Thursday evenings because of his schedule, so he was kind enough to join us this evening. Um, so thanks, everybody, for, for uh, hanging out with us. Um, if you guys aren't familiar um, uh, as well, we also have the... Um, Turn it on here. Sorry, a little discombobulated today. Um, the uh, APMJclass.com, if you're looking for a long format uh, online school to learn how to build aquaponic cannabis facilities, um, we kind of cover all different types of different topics um, and um, quite a few different content. We just added about another dozen hours to that uh, in the last week. So definitely check that out. If you're a student, um, definitely check out some of the new content that we've uploaded as well. Um, so, uh, yeah. We actually have quite a few people now. We have like 88 students right now uh, taking the course currently. So um, it's, it's quite a quite a few people taking it now. So definitely taking off. Also, um, we uh, um, turned on, we're gonna be starting up uh, kind of a Patreon style thing for home growers too. So you can now uh, use all of the different support stuff on YouTube and I have a Patreon and I'm just, I'm queuing up a bunch of content before we launch it. Um, but we'll be launching that as well. If you're kind of more of a home grower, just growing six plants and want to try and uh, get some more help uh, without, you know, getting into the commercial side of stuff, definitely check that out. Uh, if you're looking for kind of a more small scale type of thing, more people with aquariums and that kind of stuff. So, Alrighty. Um, and then one last thing here for the uh, uh, show notes um, before we get started, we also have the upcoming virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. If you guys have not didn't check out last year's be sure to check out last year's it's available on my youtube channel all 14 talks from last year are available there and um, we're actually going to have 26 talks this year um, so we're going to have double almost double the number of talks from last year uh, it's going to be from 8 a.m to 10 p.m pacific time uh, each day november 13th and 14th we have an incredible lineup of speakers from around the world including commercial producers from bangladesh south africa colombia canada switzerland um the caribbean uh and all over so we have some super super cool speakers coming to that as well as some geneticists some professors and some other awesome people that you guys have heard of uh, i'm sure uh, if you guys had a chance to check out last year's talks we definitely learned a lot um so be sure to check out um this year's conference live november 13th and 14th on the potent punks youtube channel and we will be re-uploading all that in audio format just like last year uh, as well post-conference all righty. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, uh, Willie. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and uh, and then we'll get into some of the uh, the different things that you've been working on. Cool. All right. So, um, you know, I've just been growing weeds since I was like 14 years old. Um, 
the first time I ever remember my buddy telling me about like, you know, like, yeah, we got plants growing in the backyard. I was like, whoa, like it, it grows on the plant. You know, I was just like super amazed by that. And like, ever since then, I've always wanted to know like everything I could about growing weed and all of the amazing things and benefits that the plant has for us. <clears throat> and like, uh, I started working early, like, um, in uh, Chico, I worked there on the mountain there and um, learned in, in a big community of growers. There's actually like 10 or 15 growers who had their own 99 plots and like people from all different types of, you know, walks of life from, uh, we had Jamaicans that barely spoke English there. There was like a couple of rednecks there, you know, just like every, every kind of person you could possibly imagine, you know, and it was just really cool to like meet and see all the different ways that they were you know, going about skinning the same cat, you know, it was just really cool to see, you know, people just doing it really organically. And they're like, no, I just water my plants, you know, like, that's all I have to do. The soil does all the work. And it was just like, wow, like, you know, my boss at the time spent like, maybe $15,000 on two 99s, you know, like, you know, topping up with some new soil and all the amendments and, and liquid fertilizers he was using. And I was like, man, like, you know, that just sounds like a waste of money. It's a waste of time and effort. You know, if you just water your plants, it sounds like the best way to do it. And um, so from there, uh, I, I eventually left that job. And then I got another job working on the commercial side um, for a, a facility in Santa Barbara. And um, these guys were running all just greenhouses full of um, hydro setups. And it was just so wasteful. And I remember like them getting a delivery of a nutrient in a, in a 300 gallon tote bin and it like sat in the sun. And I was like, yo, you guys have to like bring that inside. It'll go bad. And they were like, oh no. Da, da, da. And it was just like, did the amount of money they wasted was just insane for, you know, not even good weed that came out of the, at the end. And so that put a really bad taste in my mouth for a long time. And I didn't really want to work in the industry anymore, like, especially on the legal side, it just seemed like, you know, like I had been to other, other legal farms since then while I was working there. And it was just like, wow, and this is all in like 2015 to 16, you know? And so it was like, just when like all of the, all the legalization had happened and there was just so much like gray area that people were getting away with so much stuff and, and, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. But anyway, so then I, I got to work with a uh, Zelig from Spring Creek. And that was honestly like the best time I've ever had growing ever in my life. And just his amazing love for the plant and like how much dedication he has to the soil and to like the industry, I, even, you know, it's just amazing. I, I commend that man every single second of my life. So you do a lot of work with ferments and KNF stuff and Jadam. Um, why don't you tell us a little about that and kind of what got you to start moving in that direction? Uh, I know if okay. you've been down to Jamaica and got out to the fields, you know that they actually do do some of the, uh, I guess what could be described as almost like a hybrid of KNF and Jadam with some of the long ferments and some of the fruit skin ferments. And it is very similar culturally in terms of um, process. Uh, to a lot of the KNF stuff, especially if you've had a chance to, to be down there, which you have. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about that and how you kind of came to that kind of uh, methodology? So, so back to when I was working at that commercial facility in Santa Barbara, it was like, <clears throat> I just remember seeing the bill on like how much money they were spending on fertilizer. And just, just so we get this clear, this is a 15 acre facility with a million square feet of canopy. So we were just like, oh, you know, just 
for me being 20 years old at the time, I was like completely overwhelmed with those. Just like, wow, this is a lot of stuff to do, you know? And, um, but I got a lot of good experience, but anyway, yeah. So I like was just freaking out over like how much money they were just wasting on stuff. And it was like, wow, this is just going to continue on forever. I was like, there has to be a way to like make this stuff. And, you know, like I remember talking to my friend and I was like, you know, I think I've reached the point where I know like almost everything about growing weed. I know like how to, how to help the plant along with every stage of its life, you know, from uh, helping it transition by adding a little bit more phosphorus and, you know, like adding in your trace minerals throughout the whole time and just making sure that your plant is fed properly and you know just knowing the stages of life when it's going to start needing more things like obviously as soon as you start flowering you're going to need to start pumping more calcium or, or you know whatever system that you have for that and it's just like so I wanted to learn how you could make fertilizers. And then as soon as I found that out, I found out about bioavailability. And so I learned about um, I learned about KNF through the internet actually. So I just like found um, Ancient Dank, shout out to the Ancient Dank. Um, he was the one who I saw posting, making fertilizers and doing it on scale at a 99 or whatever, wherever he was. And that just like really inspired me to like go into it. And I remember one day I was like, I kept asking him questions and he must've got really mad at how many questions I was asking. He was like, he was just like, here's the book, go read it and figure it out yourself. And that was just beautiful, you know? And so from that day, I learned everything I could about um, natural farming and all that stuff and uh, Master Cho and 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 the KNF and, and I practiced and made a couple uh, uh, FPJs and FFJs and, you know, was just basically going by what the book said a lot. And then um, I actually found the uh, Regenerative Cannabis Conference and that was when I met you for the first time and uh, I saw your talk and it really inspired me, like, you know, popped my head again. I was like, wow, like you can do this with fish too. And that was just amazing, you know, like just to see that there's so many different ways to feed your garden. And um, so from then I was like, you know, I, uh, when I worked with uh, Zelig, that was like really awesome to get firsthand experience on doing the Jadam stuff and like actually getting to, to see what the best that nature has to offer as far as fertilizers. And I'm like dead serious. Like I've never seen or made ferments as good as Zelig has at his house. And um, so from then I really just started to, um, you know, when, when I was working at this other spot, I was like, going to the grocery store and they were like buying stuff and they were like, well, what can you do organically to feed, you know, stuff to the ground? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, you can just make a tea out of like pretty much any powder or granular. Right. So that was where I started making, um, uh, alfalfa extracts with, uh, to, to extract the triacantanol and add that into like boost your plants, like, um, you know, like growth and vigor and just overall, it actually really helps to boost your terpene uh, profile when you're, when you're in flower. And then, um, also, uh, yeah, as, as in those other videos, you'll see that I have like a different barrel for like all of my different extracts that I made. And so there's like a kelp one and kelp is honestly a really good one. This one that's showing right now is the, um, I make a, a barley extract basically. So the barley, they just ferment it with, or you're just uh, germinating it with some uh, various different other inputs to add to it. And um, so then I just let it grow, let it dry out for like two or three days or let it, yeah, let it dry out for two or three days. And then um, once it starts to grow all the roots, then you just take it and dry it out. You dry out the actual barley and that tea right there is actually super rich in enzymes. And it's like, it kills game. When I was using it at the, at the farm that, that it, that's showing right now, 
um, I saw like two or three inches of growth across all the plants, a bunch, a bunch of different strains. So it's, it's all just affecting the soil in a way to boost the, the um, interactions that the roots have. And so, <clears throat> and then the, the best step after that is when you take that, um, that dried barley and you, and you uh, grind and powderize that up with a mill. So you can actually buy uh, this really nice mill I got from um, uh, tractor supply company for only like 300 bucks. And it runs like a bunch of barley at a time. I did like a, probably 500 pounds in a couple hours. Um, and then you can use that actually to accelerate the growth of like all your plants. And like most people don't know that if you're, if you're um, top dressing your plants, you're actually making like a sort of a tea because as soon as you water over that, it's, you know, making a tea out of that uh, material and feeding it to the soil. But so we just rocked the barley. And honestly, uh, I learned that, I learned that trick from Clackamas Coot when I talked to him, um, he was talking about the uh, awesome effects of barley. So that was the first time I actually got to try it out. And, you know, it must've sped up the flowering process by, at least a week and a half, if not two. <clears throat> and um, yeah, so it's just been like an amazing journey to go from, you know, just being some kid in the ghetto growing plants and and then learning all of this stuff and going to working at a giant farm and then, you know, still going back to the family farm because that's where we all belong, you know, straight up. What other recipes have you found have been really useful aside from the barley, uh, the extract that sounds uh, uh, really awesome with the barley stuff, but what other great recipes have you come across kind of uh, along the way? So <clears throat> another one that I really like is um, just, uh, I made this ferment with uh, lentils actually. So I just got uh, organic lentils, um, uh, germinated them or sprouted them like seed sprout tea. And then you just blend that up as, as um, mushy and like oatmeal-ish as you possibly can. And then you actually feed that at uh, two tablespoons per gallon, um, just the mush. And you obviously want to strain it if you're using, you know, like a filter or like a pump or, you know, irrigation, you want to like make sure that's screened out because there's going to be chunks in it. Um, but that stuff works really well across of like, cause I've, I've done seed sprout tea with like almost everything you can possibly imagine. And the best things I've found are hands down. The barley is number one lentils is second because, um, I'm pretty sure it's really high in calcium <clears throat> and, uh, uh, blue corn, blue corn is amazing for flour. Like absolutely amazing. Um, and then, uh, yes, no, go ahead. The wrong button there. Um, uh, where are we at here? Oh yeah. Um, put the right screen back up. <laughs> I went to hit end share and uh, hit my to-do list instead. Um, here we go. All right. Um, uh, so what have you found was so different about the blue corn? I've never heard about that. Is the anthocyanins helping with the color? Or? Um, honestly, I haven't actually gotten a chance to like play around with purples too much in my life, sadly. I know that you did that uh, science with the... Um, anthocyan uh, molybdenum and anthocyanin. Yeah, molybdenum. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. I remember um, telling a buddy, a friend of mine about that. Um, but no, no, I, I just, I think it's just that... that um, 
the quality of the ingredient, you know, like when you find blue corn, it's just going to be like a much more high quality than like the typical, even organic yellow corn is. So do you want to walk us through um, uh, Jadam ferments? A lot of people see this and probably would be scared uh, if they saw a bunch of fruit kind of uh, putrefying. Oh, why don't you maybe uh, uh, explain to people what Jadam is and maybe you know how it works and why they shouldn't be afraid of it? Because I know a lot of people, especially when the early on, can be kind of <laughs> terrified the first time they see it. Totally, totally. Honestly, so... Uh, the whole Jadam principle is just like a, a, a more ultra low cost version of, K, of KNF. So Jadam is realistically just like a way so that anybody, even in the most rural areas, can still make amazing fertilizers that are bioavailable and packed full of all the nutrients and vitamins and especially hormones that your plants need. And so, so how I have seen the best Jadam barrels, like the fastest that they, they come to fruition and when you should actually start using it is with, um, so you, you can obviously use like an IMO one or even an IMO two, three or four. So like you can add dirt to it. It's not a problem or, or soil living biology is all you need to spark it. But so the one that's pictured is actually, I started a JMS barrel, which stands for Jadam microbial solution. So that's basically where you take some mycelium or inoculant of uh, various fungi and, and beneficial bacteria. So, uh, and you, you culture it into a solution with um, uh, basically micronized potato because the starches and um, the starches just allow for all the fungi to grow on it. And so um, you can look up Jadal Microbial Solution and it'll show it's like all bubbling and, and that'll show you when it's active. And then from there inside the Jadal book, it actually tells you that you can um, add fruit to that or add um, plant matter. And then that's going to make, uh, make it so that the material is able to be digested. So basically you're just culturing the biology with the, the JMS so that you can use it to break down almost anything. So the stronger the mycelium that you use as your original input is uh, the better, you know? So like typically the best inputs I've ever gotten was when we were at Spring Creek and it was just thick strands of mycelium from the wild. But I mean, uh, I've actually proven that you can do it with um, anything you can buy at the hydro store. So if you were gonna go and, you know, get like great white shark, like you can actually use that as a substitute for any mycelial inoculant for making a JMS to start off with. And so from there, you basically have your, your rich biology that's ready to break down almost anything that you put in front of it, right? And so then you put it in inside of whatever you're trying to grow. So typically if you're going to grow cannabis, you throw your cannabis leaves in there, you know? And, um, but so I, I have figured out that there's like a really strong need for you to have like a veg feed and a flower feed, you know, and you definitely want to be able to boost your flower stuff better. And like, not to say that if you were to make a JM, uh, a JLF with, um, just cannabis leaves that it wouldn't be super potent. That's not true. It'll help you actually grow the whole plant to fruition, but, you know, adding fruit to it as you go definitely helps. And so, um, yeah, going back to like the pellicle that you see on top of the barrel or on top of the solution. So that's just like your, it's just showing that you have really active biology. And, um, so to go back to Zelig's uh, JLF barrels. If you look on his Instagram, he has some stuff where it's it's like literally growing mycelium and saprophytic fungi all over whatever is above the surface area or above the surface level of the water. And um, 
But yeah, so mine, mine, it's not as old. So it's only basically really rich in uh, active bacteria. But yeah, so it'll, it'll break down pretty much anything. Um, but typically, once you start it, you want to give it at least uh, 30 days to 60 days, depending on what the temperature is, you know, if you're in like a normal you know, if, if basically if it doesn't get freezing, you don't have to worry about it. it'll be ready in 30 days, depending on the, um, the, how, how thinly you chop it up and stuff. So like with the leaves, when I first did the first barrel, I just smashed up all the leaves with a, a flathead shovel in the bottom of the barrel, basically just chopped it up really thin and then put a bunch of JMS on top of it. And it was ready to go in 30 days. And it was super potent. And like the crazy thing about it is like, People have uh, tested the PPM on on their JLF before, and uh, uh, shout out to Marco Marco's microbes. That guy tested his stuff, and it was like twenty four hundred PPMs or something like that. It's ridiculous. Like I don't even know what my barrel looks like right now, but it's it's potent. We had a question a little bit earlier from chat that I missed. Uh, Soulshine Grown asked. Uh, when do you apply the barley tea in your growth cycle and uh, when you observe the faster flowering? When do you actually start to observe the faster flowering? Uh, any theory as to why that's occurring? So what Clackamas Kood said is because what you're doing is you're activating the enzymes that are able to break down and make the, uh, uh, the interactions between your root tissue and the, uh, the bacteria and fungi that are surrounding it happen faster. Enzymes are the key, the catalyst that helps all of uh, the interactions happen, right? So without specific enzymes that break down um, all the different minerals, all the uh, all the uh, 81 uh, essential plant nutrients, you know what I'm saying? Like um, there's an enzyme that breaks down all of those. And so what you're doing with the barley is you're culturing a wide spectrum of enzymes that break down a lot of different things. And so you're basically uh, activating it, making it bioavailable to feed it to the root tissue. And um, so as far as how fast it works, so this is the crazy thing is like, I never was, uh, uh, the, the grower I got to test it on was like my, my, my pay on the line, you know? So we didn't use it in the veg. We just used the tea in the, in the beginning. But when you actually top dress the barley, um, we did that when we wanted to uh, kickstart flour and because <clears throat> we were light depping at the time. And so I dropped all that stuff and then we started feeding flour nutrients and we saw complete snowballs in six days. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying by the snowball, like the entire head is all hairs in, in six days. It's like, the it's insane. You can use it as soon as flower starts. That's what I would recommend. But apparently you can use it all throughout the growth cycle. I've just personally never tested it because I was really worried about the plant kicking kicking into flower. But I mean, it doesn't make sense that it would, wouldn't work in veg just the same. Awesome. We had another question in chat. It says, is KNF and Jadam for outdoor farming only, or can you use this indoors as well? So I would say you can definitely use KNF indoors. I know a couple of people that do it. Um, what really matters is your soil media and how you feed things. So like if you're, if obviously if you're using hydro, you probably can't use some of the things. I mean, I know you can use KNF nutrients as uh, your liquid feed for hydro, um, but I'm pretty sure that the biology inside of, uh, Jadam feeds is just really, it's more anaerobic. So you're more likely to have a, like a negative result unless you already have living soil. So if you're doing living soil indoors and you know how to handle that, then there should be no reason why you can't feed it. 
if you guys are looking for info on KNF in terms of fertigation, um, we had a really awesome episode a couple of weeks ago with um, uh, Quan Con Fem about um, uh, his work and research on uh, fermented uh, plant fertilizers. And we actually have some cool new projects that we're going to be announcing um, maybe Thursday, if not, maybe next week. Um, there's another cool kind of open source project for those that are interested in working on it um, that we'll be putting out regular information on, on uh, some of this types of stuff in a more broad and open sourced way. Um, we'll be announcing more on that here in the next week or two. Um, but um, uh, we had someone else ask, can you go um, uh, ask about your barley recipe is uh, if you could kind of walk them through kind of the, the process on that. I know you kind of touched on it, but if you could kind of maybe go through that again, if that would be great. Totally, totally. So um, basically, so what I do is you look for um, obviously organic if, if you can, but you know, it doesn't, it's, you know, it's, it's up to you. You know, I understand some things are like really expensive, especially barley can get expensive when you're buying the organic stuff if you don't find the right source. But um, you can actually go on to um, Concentrate's website. They have, they're out of Portland, Oregon. They have um, uh, organic two-row barley. That's the best stuff. If you're just looking to top dress it, you can just buy that, mill it, and top dress it. Um, so if you're doing this at home, you can just throw it in your Ninja Bullet or your coffee grinder or whatever. You kind of want bigger chunks of it, so don't like completely powderize it. If you completely powderize it, it's going to go and activate really fast. If you're trying to make it last, leave it in bigger chunks. But um, to make the, the extract yourself, like um, uh, to make the, the, to malt it yourself, that's what the process is actually called. Malting barley is the same thing as germinating a seed. <clears throat> uh, how I do it is I would just buy, I, I took the um, 55 gallon brute trash can and I just put, uh, I took chicken wire and put um, some shade cloth around it because that's all I had to make like a serious filter and so we put that at the bottom and then put like a spigot on the very bottom of it so you can tap it out um, so you basically put all of your dried barley in there and then um, I usually just inoculate it with anything I possibly can so like I said if we had great white shark I'd be throwing great white shark in there if I had a handful of mycelium I'd be throwing a handful of mycelium in there IMO you know anything you got really it doesn't you know whatever you can do to like kickstart and add some biology in there that's what you want to do also shout out to knf garden so i would also throw in soybean amino acids or humic acid you know like the water soluble stuff is always the best so that it's in solution and feeds the feeds everything yeah that's the stuff for sure yeah and the coolest thing i mean yeah the coolest thing about that stuff is you know it's already done. You don't have to worry about uh, drying it out. Cause like I said, if you do this with the trash can, you have to like put it all on a tarp and let it dry out in the sun. This is obviously not something people can do in the winter in certain locations. So if you're in the winter and you're doing like your uh, winter runs and stuff, definitely buy from concentrates. That's the best place to get it from. And uh, again, so to mill it uh, on, a, on a big scale, you're gonna wanna buy a, a grain mill and they have a really nice one from uh, Tractor Supply Co. It's like 300 bucks, it's 13 gallons, it's blue, it's pretty cool, you like it. Um, but yeah, so, so, but I will add anything I can to, to the, the germination point with brewing the tea because at the end of the day, I'm still gonna feed it, right? So like I'll put humic acids, soybean amino acids, I'll put, um, uh kelp meal or some type of kelp uh liquid fertilizer in there like yeah that's the one for sure dope and uh 
kelp meal, you know, like anything you can add in. Cause at the end of the day, all you're doing is boosting the seeds to grow faster. That's why I have a picture on my Instagram where there's like a barley piece with like five roots coming out of it already. It's just insane. But yeah, so typically you want to, uh, so you'll let all that sit there for like 24 hours, you know, like, um, 36 hours is good too. Uh, but then you want to drain all that liquid out with all that food and use that immediately. Cause, uh, you know, you can do this with anything that you're sprouting. Um, you just put, you know, your water in with your seeds and let it do its thing. And then it's going to basically be pushing out the enzymes that the seed knows to, um, break down the environment around it. So that's actually what you're doing is, is when a seed germinates, it's actually releasing all of these enzymes to train itself how to digest the environment and how to, how to eat whatever's around it. You know, it's just a whole bunch of keys to opening a bunch of doors that it doesn't even know if it needs to use that door yet. So that's what you're getting. Right. And so you drain all that water out, you feed that stuff. Honestly, I fed it like one to 50. So like, you know, if your plants are strong and growing vigorously, you shouldn't have a problem feeding it really heavy, but you know, obviously vigorous is up to your decision to understand that it's actually like growing. Um, so then once you've drained all that out, you take, you just basically leave the soaked germinated barley inside that container in the trash can or whatever you're using, you know, and, uh, just let it sit there for, you know, 36 hours, maybe 48. It depends on, it depends on the climate. And you're definitely going to want to shake the trash can with the lid on it and, sh and shake it so that you're like tumbling it around and make sure that there's not just like a pocket at the bottom. That's just like full of water make sure that it's properly drained out. And, um, then like the top of it might get a little dry, but like right underneath it, you're going to see like a bunch of roots growing in the next like two or three days. So then you take those, uh, but basically you want half an inch of root before you uh, grind it up and or dry it, you know, for later storage. But um, here's also the cool part. So when, once you've got the roots growing, you can either take all that stuff, throw it on a tarp in the sun and let it dry out for two or three days. Or you can take some of it, you know, like obviously if you make a big batch, you're going to want to dry it out. But you can actually take like a, a little bit of it and, and blend it up with just a little bit more of that water that it, that it came from, or you can just add other water. It doesn't really matter. And you want to make it into like an oatmeal paste basically. And then that's what you're, well, a little bit runnier than oatmeal, you know, <clears throat> and then you put that through a screen and you can feed that stuff at uh, two tablespoons per gallon. Uh, someone asked, should you be grinding your malted barley? Yes, in every instance, whether you're going to dry it and save it, you still want, well, you dry it and save the, the malted barley, and then you're going to put it through a mill once it's completely dry. So don't be like me and put it through and you'll be like, oh, yeah, no, it's dry enough. Ha, ha, ha. And it just like doesn't do anything. That mill that I took, I got, it just like, and it like stopped like halfway through the first set. I was like, well, what's going on? And you feel it and it's all mushy and still moist on the inside. So make sure it's very thoroughly dry before you start trying to grind it up um yeah awesome um so i also saw you had seed sprout tea on there um do you want to talk to us about that i know it's uh, often one that i'm a big fan of as well okay so so seed sprout tea is probably like my introduction to to feeding a plant like naturally or organically 
you know, because I was just like looking up online, like uh, all the different like natural farming ways, how to make your own stuff. Again, shout out to the ancient Dank for showing me a lot of stuff. Um, but he told me to look at plants or, or, or seeds that were rich in the things that your body needs, you know, because plants and, and humans are really similar. So, you know, if, if it feeds a human very well, it's definitely going to feed the plant very well. So I originally started doing seed sprout teas with, um, with just corn and, uh, yeah, and just corn. And, and we thought it was the best thing ever until, um, one day I ran, ran out of corn and I had some lentils and used my lentils. And then I was like, wow, that's, that's considerably better than, than, than corn was, you know? And, and what's really cool about that when you use the seed sprout tea is well, that mush, you can actually use that again. The greatest part about Jadam is that you have that barrel and it's there, it's ready to eat anything you put in it. So you can literally take your waste or whatever extra you don't use all the chunks of any seed sprout tea and throw it in your Jadam barrel. It'll eat that and put it into, make it into a bioavailable form. But besides that, uh, I've done, like I said, corn, um, uh, I've done green beans, I've done black beans, I've done pinto beans, like every bean you can possibly imagine at grocery outlet I've used, you know. So there's no limit to what you can seed sprout tea, but just understand that certain, um, certain seeds have different hormones and that's really important. Um, I know uh, the Cannabis Horticultural Association, he has a really good little segment on his website about uh, seed sprout tea. I learned a little bit from him too. Um, yeah, and, and so you'll find that, uh, you know, if you're looking for the hormones, if the hormones is what you're after for feeding, then, you know, you should look into to his information because, or, or just look into it in general, like different plants or different seeds have different hormones. And at the end of the day, you're not just feeding in, in all the natural ferments you, that you make and all that stuff. You're not just feeding the minerals. You're not just feeding the elements. You're not just feeding in all that stuff. You're actually feeding hormones and hormones can affect plants in ways that we really don't understand. You know, like if, if you're going to make a, a ferment and you're making it with male plants, like, and just lots of male plants, just know that you're priming a plant, a, a female plant to be receptive to making seeds. So like this actually came across in our grow that we had in the backyard was um, the plant had been pollinated by a male that was growing in the garden. You know, we ripped it. And when we did, it obviously got some pollen on the rest of the plants, but one plant that had never been fed um, the future uh, JLF that was made with that, it never, it never got that. It never, it never started to grow any seeds on the insider parts. So you know, you've got to always be wary of like how far along your, your uh, plants get, you know, because the, the, the hormones that you have in, in your stuff can affect that greatly. But, you know, if that's what you're after, if you're a breeder and you're doing that, you know, the, the greatest thing you could possibly feed your plants is, is male and female plants that are already budded and then, and your seeds come out so much gnarlier. I was just going to say that was the only thing I've ever been cautioned about was uh, about using male plants. Uh, uh, fermented male plants on female plants and that, you know, potentially being negative, but I've never heard of anyone talking about combining them. Uh, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, totally. So, <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, it's all a learning process and every plant is affected differently. 
So, you know, it's not just like a one, a one way street. There's like a bunch of different ways it can go. And, and if you really think about it, like if, if a million microbes can be chilling on, in as much living soil as the tip of your thumb, imagine how much interactions and, and things are happening in the soil. It's like, it's an incomprehensible by a human mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you have, yeah, you have good. Interesting video on labs. I was trying to find it. I can't find it now that I'm looking for it. Um, but you were using, uh, you were doing, here it is. You, you were doing the Kiefer Labs as well. I don't know if yeah. not a lot of people, uh, if I can hit the right buttons this time. Apparently I'm incapable of that. There we go. Uh, yeah, so, so that's me and my buddy Quinn. We made labs at, at my dad's house. Um, so I was just trying to show that we could make it in a big, in a big, in a big container, you know? And um, so uh, my buddy Quinn has like really elevated my knowledge as far as like understanding how beneficial certain things are. And like, you know, when you, when you think about making labs, you're like, whatever, I can just use whatever milk, it doesn't really matter, you know, but that's not true. What really matters is always the inoculant and the quality of material that you're putting in to make your ferments with. So what we used was we used really high quality milk and we used water uh, milk kefir. So milk kefir already has all those probiotics, all those lactobacilluses and all those different lactose that I don't all know all the other end names to. Um, but yeah, so what you really want to do when you're making labs is make sure that you have the best inoculants in there to, to, to grow your, your product in the end. Right. Can you, so, can you explain this part with the garbanzo beans and the rice wash for 36 hours? I've not heard of that for labs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So check this out. So my buddy Quinn, he was the one who told me that uh, when you make your rice wash water, it doesn't really matter what, what you, what you use to make it with. Right. So he made labs with um, uh, I think he said it was uh, some type of bean and rice and, and uh, uh, pinto beans. And so he just left it all in there. He didn't really just make a rice wash and separate it. He just left it all in there. And I was like completely amazed by that. And I was like, dude, we got to try that. Like, you know, and he was like, it's really way more active, you know? And so we used that to inoculate the labs in the first place. So we were just going ham with like, you know, let's do like the most hyperactive biology with the most hyperactive kefir with the most high quality milk we could buy at the store. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I had not heard about using, I, I've heard of vegan labs with like the, the bean-based uh, lactobacillus, uh, lacto, but I've never heard of that with uh, combining kind of the two methodologies. That's interesting. It makes a lot of sense though. Yeah, again, I did not think that up. That was completely my buddy Quinn. Like I, I, I've thank that man every single day that he's my friend because he elevates my thinking and, and points me in the right direction like so many different times when I'm just like stuck, you know. Yeah, those are all the different strains of uh, lactobacillus that were inside that kefir to begin with. So, you know, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody just doing straight kefir, but have you ever done that, Steve? Yeah, I've done it. You can do it. Um, If you just do straight kefir and you don't have any starches in it, it works, but you end up with a thicker uh, curd layer, kind of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, So you end up with kind of a, it's it's a better way if you're making, if you want to make like more cheese and a smaller batch of labs, especially if you're just a home grower, it can be a little bit easier because you end up with like more stuff that you're going to eat instead of what the plants are going to eat, right? So especially if you only have six plants or 12 plants, you know, you don't, 
you don't need to have like five gallons of it on hand, right? You, you only need a little bit of it. So um, it's good for that purpose. But um, I found that with the kefir labs, you end up with a better um, speed of growth uh, response. You end up with more vitamin B complex because you have a lot more um, different types of lactobacillus, um, which are going to complex different types of vitamin B, which is going to, you know, overall be a better growth and micro growth accelerator. Um, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, to go over that. I thought that was really interesting checking out your, your content um, on something that I hadn't seen before and that, you know, I hadn't seen discussed before with the garbanzo beans or some of the other, um, you know, kind of hybridizing a little bit more of the, the methodologies. Yeah, I, I would just like to point out that, you know, there's no rules to this game, you know, like there's guidelines. And at the end of the day, you can mix and match and do what you think works is going to work, you know, like as soon, as soon as you really understand like what certain inputs and what certain materials are doing for the plant, then you can just figure out different ways how to, how to kickstart that, right? So like how I've made um, extracts with like the alfalfa, right? So you can actually uh stabilize these things and and keep it keep it around for a little while if you wanted to do that right and so like there were, there's ways to stabilize different different feeds and everybody should really focus on that if you're making ferments learn how to stabilize your stuff so that it can stay on the shelf and you can keep it and have it around so you don't have to make it all the time um, you know that uh, I, unless you're going to do the job thing, if you're going to do the job thing, it's just sitting there. You can go get it anytime you want. And it's really, really active and awesome. But so, so as far as like combining the things go, like, you know, we've added everything we could possibly imagine. Like, like when I make my uh, alfalfa feed, what I'll do is I'll put like a little bit of labs in there. I'll put a little bit of sugar in there and then I'll put the alfalfa inside of like a sock or, um, a paint strainer bag and then you just let it sit there in water overnight or for 36 hours and it becomes really really active and um it, the the cup that's on my instagram that's what it that's what it looks like it's just looks like some nice beer and it smells like beer too it's pretty crazy and um yeah that's basically like terpenator if if you actually look up what's in terpenator it's really high in triacantinol um so <clears throat> Yeah, like so yeah. then yeah. 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 Um so so yeah, we just really like to like add as much different things as possible and so when I'm done making that ferment, I'll take that uh alfalfa that's left over and I'll just throw that into my veg jadon barrel or if I was going to do the kelp one, I just split that up. I can put the, you can put the kelp one in either of your uh flour or your veg ferments, you know. Uh, we also had a, a question, or uh, first off, uh, let me also pop in and say, hey, uh, welcome Fumador. Uh, Fumador snuck in here uh, once we got started, so I wanted hey, to guys. give them a chance to say hello hey, to everybody. I just figured I'd stop by and uh, smoke a joint or two and listen to the very interesting Ken F and Jadam talk, so cheers folks. How you doing? Why don't you tell everybody a quick uh, your website, because you got some awesome new stuff dropping. Right on, uh, Fumadoro.com. Go check it out, folks uh www.fumidoro.com or also fumesofgold.com super cool stuff tristy thanks yeah some of the nicest photography of any seeds that you could find online or Appreciate i'm sorry it. genetic preservation website that's it that's it <laughs> that's exactly it Cheers. um 
Uh, we had another question from chat here. Um, it says, uh, can you talk to us about Jadam wedding agent? Uh, I totally. That with uh, be extremely careful using it anywhere in, near aquaponics. <laughs> okay, so JWA, uh, the Jadam wedding agent is basically like a, a cultured surfactant. So um, you use uh, lye mixed with canola oil and it creates a, a, a vicious um, thermophilic reaction. So it's very hot. So you have to be really careful about the container that you're using for that. But however, uh, a Brut trash can actually works for it really well. Um, the wetting agent is just amazing. You can add that to anything. It's also a standalone um, pesticide. So what's really cool about the JWA is when you use it as a fertilizer, it's there as a pesticide, it, it completely encapsulates the, the pest and basically smothers them so they can't get oxygen. And then slowly it will uh, dry up and then their body just falls on the ground and feeds the soil like it was insect frats, which is like really cool. The JWA actually is useful in so many different ways. It's it's ridiculous how awesome uh, Young Sang Cho is when he, when he figured this stuff out, okay? so. You can actually use the JWA to fertigate through irrigation. So if you're if you're feeding stuff, it helps build that saponin layer so that your feed will go through and doesn't clog. If you have chunks in it, it'll basically shoot it through, lubricates everything. And you can use JWA across the spectrum in anything. It helps. Um, it, it makes your water wetter. It helps the the water spread across the entire soil media as opposed to creating soft pockets that become anaerobic and bad stuff grows in it. But the JWA also helps to deliver the nutrients and, and vitamins and hormones directly into the root tissue. Um, as well, uh, as a pesticide, the JWA is really cool because you make Jadam solutions with uh, basically, which are just basically plant extracts of plants that are naturally, uh, resilient to certain pests. So basically in the, in the book, it'll teach you recipes that show like uh, certain plants are unaffected by uh, aphids. So they actually have some hormone in them that uh, makes, makes the plant like impervious or they just don't want to eat it. Right. So you're, you're getting that through basically boiling that plant material in water and making a tea out of it. And then you add that to the JWA and you spray that as a uh, pesticide. And, it, and there's a laundry list of different mixtures that they have inside the Jadon book um, for various different applications. But typically uh, I have never had an issue that uh, uh, Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap couldn't solve. Like, to be honest, it, it's a magic thing you can buy at the store. If you can't take the time or you don't have access to proper lye, you can, I mean, you can buy all that stuff online, but you know, like you're never going to be able to find the, the high quality lye that you, uh, you need in the store. It does just, you can't, just can't find it. Um, but yeah, so JWA is just super awesome. You can use it as a surfactant. It, it works as a wedding agent. It's just all around amazing for everything that you could possibly do in gardening. It, it, com it completes the whole circle of the Jadam method, right? So like it ties everything together with being able to not only feed and protect your plants at the same time. Yeah, it's really awesome with uh, 
with the different KNF methods on how you can kind of do kind of more than one thing with a lot of the inputs, you know what I mean? Um, is there a difference between JWA and Dr. Bronner's? Uh, I've used both of them uh, interchangeably for plants. Uh, and that's from chat. Um, well, yeah, definitely. Obviously, Dr. Bronner's, you can buy it in the store. And the, the reason why I suggest that is because you can buy it in the store. And like typically, a uh, grocery outlet will have that like in stock, like almost every single time you go into a grocery outlet. It's like one of the things that they always have. So Dr. Bronner's is just really awesome. It works really well to like deter pests. It, 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 I've never come across a pest that it didn't basically wipe out, but I've never used it against russet mites. Um, the one thing I will say about Dr. Bronner's is Dr. Bronner's, if you are, um, if you care about personal choice and where someone works, they were one of the first companies to put forth a mandatory um, vaccine mandate for their company, which is kind of against what a lot of people that actually purchase their products believe in. So uh, if you are feel strongly about that, then uh, you might want to consider boycotting them. Um, there's kind of an irony because I would, on the other hand, actually consider them because of that. So <laughs> there's different you know, opinions. Well, yeah, or support them. You know, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to pick a side, but, you know, hey, if you, if you want to. Uh, some people them. like salt, <laughs> some people like pepper. No, that's what's that's one thing I like about Fumi. We can agree to disagree and, and still be civil. Not a lot of people can do that these days. And uh, it's, a, it's becoming a rare, rare trait in society. But, uh, yeah, um, Fumi's probably laughing extra hard because we debate all the time privately, so it's fun. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, uh, definitely was a, a bit surprising to see from the guy that runs the Sun, Moon, Earth um, certification. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, so compared to some of the other regenerative farmers and, and their beliefs. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, what concentration are you using um, the uh, Jadam wedding agent at? So for various applications, it's different. So um, one thing that I would like to caution people with is when you're using JWA with city water that isn't properly filtered, um, it will create a, a, a reaction where basically all of the minerals inside the solution will float to the top with like some weird white foamy stuff and you're going to want to like wipe that off. But the, the solution is still good to use. Um, but that'll basically be all of the minerals that are in the water or whatever else kind of crap is in city water um but yeah so that's just one thing i want you to caution on don't be weirded out by that just scoop it off and throw it out you know because if you allow that to get into your soil system it will create some crazy nastiness wherever it goes you definitely want to just like remove that and make sure that your solution is like thoroughly mixed with whatever's inside of it at all times um but so if you're feeding jwa to the soil I usually do like maybe 10 milliliters per gallon, you know, like at max, you know, but you can do whatever you want. It depends on what you're feeding, right? And how you're feeding. So if you're feeding through irrigation, typically you want to do 10 milliliters per gallon because it'll help like make sure whatever chunky, J, if, assuming you are using Jadam stuff, you know, if you're using JWA or, or if you're using JL, JLF, you're going to want to use more of it because it's thicker and it, and it can clog your emitters a little bit. Um, but if you're just using it, uh, to feed, you know, to the soil through a hose or whatever, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. You can do it sparingly, you know, keep it at four milliliters per gallon. There's no, 
you know, there's no like excessive amount that you have to use, you know, it's just, it's just there as like a backup to help get the food into the plant. We also randomly, we had a question in chat asking, deviating from KNF, thoughts on quartz crystals in the garden. Um, first off, quartz crystal is completely unbioavailable without fungi present. Um, so unless you're dissolving it in a fungal solution, then you're doing But second of all, I mean, it's cool for jewelry, but uh, quartz crystals are part of what we generally refer to as the religion of organics and not the science of organics. And probably one of the best examples. Um, quartz, yeah, pretty. for accessorizing, you want something beautiful to sit next yeah. to your plants as it's growing in the garden next to the gnome, you know, great for that. <laughs> Other than that, they don't do anything. He cleans um, it in chakra, okay? Yeah, I mean, maybe if there's like signs moonbeams to help guide the something or other to your garden, I don't know. One of the growers. Well, it makes you feel better as a like as an environmental thing, like you know, candles and decorations and like a little Buddha statue or whatever. Then do that, but don't pretend that it's going to do something for the garden itself. You like yeah. the the three thousand year old Himalayan salt that expires next year. You know, like <laughs> I just it seems like scam to me. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, that's up there with like magnetic, you know, uh, uh, field generators and water spinners and uh, what's the other one, the Keegan water, or any of the other things that's just kind of pseudo science, hokey pokey bullshit. Um, it's kind of a lot of, I mean. Anyways, I, I had to play, well, never mind. I'm gonna it's get it myself worked. in trouble. Like, that's my only thing. Like, it's never worked. Like, everybody yeah. side by side has failed. Let me put it this way. If, if crystals worked really well, you'd be able to get them on Agron or Hydro Farm or one of the big producers at this point. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> That'll be the next expensive bottle, uh, potent. Not silica water, but uh, quartz crystal water. They'll, they'll grind up quartz the somehow and solubilize it. Like, the germinated barley has got to ferment the crystals, right? That's how it works. You got to get fermented crystals. You got to oh, charge the crystals with a thousand volts first. Barrel aged crystal water. I only top dress with crystals. You unscrew your thousand watt light fixture and you jam it right in there and you hold on to it as long as you can. Oh, That's you're the ruining best our way. next business idea, Potent. What the hell? <laughs> charge, charged crystals, energized crystals. <laughs> Um, is there any uh, less traditional um, uh, Jadam or KNF inputs that you've kind of come across or come up with or experimented with and found, man, this is really awesome, but I, you know, it's not really out there in mainstream yet. Uh, it sounds like you do a lot of interesting uh, research and, and experimentation. What are some of the more interesting or, hey, you, maybe if, you, if you don't have one, have you found something that was like, man, that was just a huge fucking dumpster fire. <laughs> like something that saw, thought it was really good and it just was like, you know, death incarnate because I've done that too. Totally, totally. So uh, we, made a, we made a JLF one time with purely rotten fruit. And it did not come out well. Okay. Like we thought it was rocking. It made the plants grow for one day. And then all the tips started burning. And it was just like, oh no, we started watering it and it didn't really matter. It just created some crazy anaerobic bacteria inside the soil and just the plant did not like that. And um yeah, as far as like things that I like 
light bulbs that popped off in my head was definitely like the reusing of things, you know, like if, if you're not composting material from your farm, you should be using a JLF barrel because I mean, if you're not going to make it into something you can top dress your plants with, you might as well make it into something you can liquidly feed your plants. And you know, the, it's just uh, outstanding how many different things you can feed to the JLF and, and it'll just break it down and rock it like as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, I definitely have seen the best results with that, that enzyme tea, the uh, grinding up the barley and, and using that, uh, the mush. And that one I totally learned from uh, the Cannabis Horticultural Association's website. That guy's got some massive information, all this stuff. I found is usually just stuff that I've learned from other people and then found the insight into how they thought of that and just reapplied it. So um, yeah, it's all, it's all just basically about experimentation and having different areas that you can experiment with things. Um, and yeah, definitely what's really cool is we got, this is the first time I actually got to grow food with Jadam stuff. So uh, we had, unparalleled tomatoes uh, growth sites, unparalleled fruit flowering times. It just goes across the board. Um, we got a passion fruit vine that's growing. <clears throat> and, you know, we had like 20 flowers grow in one day and it's only like maybe eight feet long and two feet tall. So it's just all the way across the board. You just, the cannabis is really potent in, in all of its uh, uh, minerals and, and vitamins and stuff. So it, it works for every single other plant. So don't be worried about like, you know, oh, is this weed going to be able to feed my tomatoes or my flowers or this or that? Yeah, it is. The cannabis is just, it's a biodynamic accumulator. So it's just rich in everything that the soil that grew it has. And yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. Awesome. We had another question in chat. Someone's saying that they, they hear a lot of people adding mixing quartz into soil. I think you're kind of confusing some products like Montana Grow or um, uh, silicon dioxide products uh, that are like a powdered quartz. Um, those are a little bit more available, but again, almost all of your silica products, with the exception of silicic acids, like you get from, say, aloe vera or Power SI or Horsetail ferment or um, stinging nettle would be another great one um, uh, to ferment for silica. Um, those are, are much different for uh, and much more available than a rock form. So the only two you can get in rock form are, or I guess in a, a more mineralized form, potassium silicate, which is very low bioavailability and raises pH, or silicon dioxide, which is much higher or less chance of raising pH, but it's less bioavailable. It's like 0.7% or something like that, or 3.7% or something abysmally low. Um, so that's the downsides with that is you have to have a high fungal content to break down that silica and deliver it. Otherwise, it, it doesn't really help. Um, 
before that. We've been talking about uh, Coot uh, for quite a bit now. Will's been talking about uh, Clackamas Coot, and Clackamas Coot's a big uh, advocate of rock dust, right? Like uh, basalt rock dust, especially on the West Coast, especially basalt rock dust. It's easy to find. Uh, he would not, I don't think, tell you to get gravel, for example. And most of the gravel here is basically going to be basalt because most of the stuff is, you know, volcanic. We got plate tectonics, whatever. Just the geology here. Most of the gravel we buy basically is basalt. It wouldn't do anything for your soil. It would just sit there, It'd be filler, pretty much. But the actual rock dust does do something. The fungal network basically ties into it and eats it. The gravel would do something over a million years, but none of us is going to be around for a million years. And so the same thing, like the crystals. I mean, there's, I guess, like you said, what are they going to get? The silica. Well, I guess, like in a million years, when the soil breaks down those crystals, then the silica from that will be available. But you know, we have better things to do. Someone says ferment quartz and juice. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you could dissolve it in like wine or something like super acidic, you know. Uh, um, uh, what was I going to say here? Um, uh, is there any other interesting, um, I, you, you did a lot of work with kelp and stuff like that. I've also done a lot of different uh, ferments, super labs and stuff like that. Tell us about the work you, you've done with kelp there. So <clears throat> Clackamas Coot also turned me on to this. So like I had like a four hour conversation with Coot. Um, I have it somewhere in my laptop. Um, it'd be really cool if I could post that at some point. Um, but yeah, so Clackamas Coot like explained that with his soil mix, uh, the reason why the kelp is there is because it has, it, it's a biodynamic accumulator within the ocean. It has every single thing that a plant will need ever to grow. So um, there's two different types of kelp. There's actually a green kelp and a brown kelp. Um, I can't remember what the uh, scientific name is for it. It's like Nosphodilus or something is the brown kelp, but that's the one you want. It's it's way more uh, beneficial for plants. It's it's uh, richer in uh, the hormones that you want uh, to uh, culture. Um, uh, what's the first two ones? Um, Uh, cytokinins and uh, auxins. The, so that's what you're really getting out of kelp is uh, the cytokinins and the auxins. So your cytokinins, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, are what helps with your lateral root, uh, lateral branch growth. So one of the reasons why you really want kelp in your system is because it'll help you grow more branches in your bench. And I have personally tested this when your plant is growing, if you're not making a, a ferment with kelp or feeding it to the soil or top dressing it, somehow feeding it in, you're losing out on so many branches. If your goal, if as an outdoor grower is to grow as much end product as humanly possible, you should be feeding kelp every single chance you can. Um, it's just super beneficial. The, all the hormones in it are just amazing. Just be careful, you, you can overdose with it and spike your uh, arsenic usually is the first one that shows up. Or if you do have a failure for arsenic, um, usually it's kelp. I have seen one other configuration uh, of organic inputs cause uh, arsenic to fail, but every all but one time that I've seen it, it's been uh, directly linked to people overdosing kelp. And most of the time it's people going way too heavy on maxi crop with iron. Uh, in a closed loop hydroponic or aquaponic system, not really soil. I do know one or two people have done it in soil, but uh, again, it, it's super awesome. Uh, just like you're saying regularly on smaller doses, just don't go crazy with it. That's all. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally, totally. I'm just saying, like, you know, use it within the this uh, recommended dosages. Never, never go over the dosage of anything, especially not with JLF stuff. I'm telling you, this shit is so potent. It'll burn your plants really bad. We had a question in chat. It goes, what phosphorus milligram per liter are you shooting for? Um, so typically with the aquaponic setups that Marty and I do, um, we're generally aiming for that 30 to 40 parts per million. Generally, I'm 35 parts per million milligrams uh, per liter of phosphorus um, uh, for that, um, or I guess parts per million, same thing. Um, uh, that's generally what we're looking for. We cover that way back in, I think it's episode two or three of the, of the podcast. So you can check it out. I know we did a bunch of different episodes of different fertilizers and nutrients and stuff. Eventually we'll get back to doing some of those types of content again, but we've been a bit busy. Uh, is there any type of, of things you have wanted to research or experiment with that you haven't had a chance to yet, or maybe just haven't had the plants or resources to yet with the, the ferments? Absolutely. So one of my dreams is to have uh, a fruit garden that is like, you know, like a fruit cannabis garden. That's like all the different flavors. And I want to feed all of those different plants, um, uh, KNF inputs made from that fruit, you know, and I just really want one day to grow a pineapple plant with lots of pineapple and, and just see how much more that can affect the flavor. I know there's a couple of people out there with really awesome recipes for making FPJs that just push all the terpene profiles and, and flavonoids out of your plant. But I just really want to see what will happen if you feed just that plant's fruit, you know, its own fruit. Yeah, the, uh, wow, never mind. I almost gave away something I'm not quite ready to announce yet. Um, but yes, there's definitely interesting. In fact, uh, it's interesting you brought up pineapples. That was one of the questions in um, the trivia night the other night on Fumador's show. Uh, why don't you tell everybody about the, the trivia night? Because it's a lot of fun. We're doing the uh, trivia every couple of weeks. We're, we're I promise that the next trivia is going to have less uh, savagely difficult questions. <laughs> we've been having basically uh, uh, so yeah, we've been having people win with negative numbers basically on trivia. But yeah, we do ganja trivia basically every other Wednesday. Uh, this coming Wednesday, we're going to be doing uh, weed and whiskey Wednesday. Uh, but then the week after that, we'll be doing uh, ganja trivia. If you guys would like to, if anyone listening would like to be a contestant, you're welcome to come join us. You know, we usually have like five or six or seven contestants. So Potent's been a contestant. Coot's been a contestant a couple times. Wes Injun is the reigning champion, two-time reigning champion. So folks are welcome to come. Uh, uh, Regenerative Cannabis has been a contestant. It was lots of fun. Tara, I think, is in the chat. She's been as well. So it's been a lot of fun. You're welcome too, by the way. Uh, anybody listening. Cheers, guys. Oh, I guess we're still dabbing. And uh, why don't you tell everybody too the different days you have your show? Sure. Uh, Tuesdays, a lot of times we have a special guests. Tomorrow, actually, we're going to have a great guest. We're going to have uh, Jordan from the Growcast. Uh, thanks to Potent, got him on the show. It's going to be a really interesting show. And then, uh, again, like I said, on Wednesday, we're going to have uh, Weed and Whiskey Wednesday. We're basically on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. 
uh, Saturdays is Brews and Buds Night, so that's kind of uh, I don't know. I suppose Tuesdays a little bit we're, we're fairly low key on, on all the shows, but Tuesdays a little bit more formal. Uh, Wednesdays usually a lot of times fairly uh, informal because uh, a lot of times West Engine and I are either enjoying whiskey or playing trivia, uh, and then Saturday I don't know somewhere halfway in between maybe we uh, still wear a nice shirt but we unbutton it or something I don't know. But we like to have fun, talk about craft beer, craft uh, cannabis, craft kind of uh, uh, life in general basically. But uh, I don't know we like to, I like to say that we like to take the weed seriously but we don't, we don't take ourselves too seriously so it's nice kind of a, a pub atmosphere very friendly place uh potent likes to stop by and just kind of you know hang and relax we actually have really pretty interesting conversations you know comes on there and talks for you know four or five hours at a time but you know we have fun doing it right because we meander through like the history and i don't know coot will start talking about like his grow and i don't know the freaking but the 1750s no i mean i could the 1950s i'm no i mean i'm sorry in the 70s anyway but uh people forget that could actually could and his wife both grew like allegedly just freaking mountains of freaking cannabis but anyway yeah it's a lot of fun interesting um i did like um a little bit earlier will that you were talking about bringing up um how kind of knf is kind of uh I guess less rigid than it's often taught. And that's something that I like to kind of emphasize to people whenever we're talking about green natural farming is think of KNF as like um, fermentation. So, you know, microbes and sometimes sugar, sometimes not, um, sometimes plants, sometimes not. But that fermentation process to break down and isolate things like hormones and minerals and um, other things that <laughs> can't really break down in the presence of high levels of oxygen, right? And that's a almost half of the, the different things that can benefit plants. I mean, let's look at iron. Iron has to be in an FE2 form, not FE3. So um, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely something that I think people need to experiment with and not, you know, just don't take everything just as what <laughs> Master Cho or uh, his grandson that did uh, uh, Jadam, um, I believe it's his grandson. Uh, I might get that wrong, but um, uh, don't think of it that you have to follow this and it's the only way that works and everything else doesn't work. Um, the method, the method that he has put together works great from start to finish, right? And and if you don't stray from it, you're going to have success. But if you um, experiment with it, you can actually improve upon it quite a bit. And he uh, will kind of show tonight, you know, adding the kefir adding some of the garbanzo beans as an extra starch source, you know, a lot of these things can be refined, improved upon and, and actively encourage people to do that. Think of it as a machine that you can take inputs, put them in the machine and you get different types of plant inputs out the other end of the machine. And it, well, as soon as you start thinking of it that way and you start thinking of it in a natural sense, it's like, okay, well, I collect <laughs> microbes in rice. But what if I mix the rice with insect frass and insect parts? Now I can collect insect feeding microbes as uh, as well and make a more uh, predatory uh, IMO mix. And you know, you start to think all these different ways that you can kind of bend a lot of the traditional tools that are taught with KNF into much more interesting things and kind of suddenly unlock whole new other useful things for your toolbox on 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 problem solving for your garden. I think it's. Uh, it's really cool to have someone on tonight like yourself that has done a lot of that different experimentation and bending and changing of the different things. And, and you know, a lot of people are so afraid that, it, especially because it is ferments and we are taught traditionally that ferments can be, you know, they can go sideways and they can go sideways a little easier than, the anaer than aerobic uh, mixes. 
um, that people get kind of afraid of them and don't experiment as, as much. And I really think it's something that people do need to be doing more of. And we're going to be launching some stuff here soon that's going to help encourage that and document it and make it so that the information is available to people. So super stoked to see you on. It looks like Fumi has to take off. Uh, thanks for joining us. Fumi, why don't you tell everybody again how to find you? Cheers, guys. Uh, I didn't mean to actually interrupt the show, but uh, thanks very much. Uh, cheers, uh, guys. Uh, go check out my channel, Fumi and the Flavors on YouTube. We like to have a good time. So uh, tomorrow we're going to have a uh, a very interesting guest. Like I said, Jordan from Growcast. We're going to be talking to him. It's going to be an interesting one because normally I have, uh, you know, growers, breeders, people like that, you know, folks that that uh, like the folks that watch the show, frankly, this is going to be an interesting one because this is going to be like a, a podcaster. So we're going to be interviewing a podcaster on our podcast. So it's going to be a fun one. Uh, thanks for letting me on, man. Cheers. Uh, thanks for uh, everybody for hanging. And uh, don't forget to hit the upvote button and the freaking uh, like, share and subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Like everything goes with the cannabis channels they disadvantage us basically on youtube so tell your friends that's the best way to to spread the word cheers guys have a good one thanks for calling man yeah humidor is a lot of fun and we have a lot, a lot of fun on his show late night especially uh he's a little bit later and often has a lot of international people which is kind of neat so definitely check him out if you're familiar Cool. Um, do you have any other um, things maybe in the next run or two that you're looking to work on with your different um, experimentations? We haven't really talked much on that. Yeah. So um, one of the things that uh, totally sparked my, my memory was, um, so once you take a, a, you know, like a dry fertilizer from, from the store, you know, like say like kelp, kelp meal or anything like that, I was thinking about if you could rehydrate that material and then make um uh, like a, a KNF uh, extract with it, you know. Like I was wondering if you could maybe rehydrate kelp and then and then make um, uh, an FPJ with it or an FFJ with it. That would oh, be pretty cool. Actually, hold on. I'll show you what you can do with it. Let me find the right picture so I don't. Uh, I think it's in a folder with lots of other stuff. Hold on a second. Let me find it. Yeah. But yeah. To like expand on the, the, the recipes, as far as like the K and F stuff, when you're making mixes of things, like understand that what's inside that plant that you're using, you know, like it's not the whole thing. It's not, it's not uh, an umbrella term that's going to feed or an umbrella feed that's going to do everything for your plant. You know, certain biodynamic accumulators like kelp have the perfect levels that your plant needs, but you know, like if say you're going to make something with, um, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so this is um, kelp extract or powdered dried kelp uh, and then with um, spirulina and fermented in lactobacillus. And it makes okay. this brilliant blue, which is your phycocyanin, um, which is your precursor to your chlorophyll groups. And this stuff is a growth accelerator um, and uh, it's just awesome for plants. It's also good for healing heavily damaged plants. If you get a bad storm, they get fed on by insects heavily or trying to you know, rebound plants that are, you know, for one reason or another, it's a great, uh, great ferment for that. And we make it all the time as part of our regimens for large scale cannabis uh, to accelerate growth rates. Oh, that looks amazing. That's, but yeah, that's you can really see cool. that it separates out the curds there. You can scoop the curds right off the top and, and you can see how it isolates all the, just how neon blue, you, you can't mistake that color. You know, you know if you have it right or not because it's that color or it isn't. <laughs> That's so cool. But you do about a, a four to one 
ratio on the spirulina to kelp. Uh, and then we usually use at least a pound of spirulina, uh, one to two pounds of spirulina for five gallon batch, depending on the strength. Um, but it's awesome. It really does freakish stuff to plants in terms of uh, just accelerating everything that the plant does. Hmm. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. I got to try that. Yeah. I'm like super excited. I just got the, I just got some true OGs. That's like the light that's shining on me right now as a grow light. Cause you know, you got to live in the plants <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so I'm like really, really excited to, to feed these plants, like some super hardcore stuff and experiment with them. Cause I got one that I'm going to keep for a mom and I got like, uh, three that I'm going to experiment with and two, I'm just going to run the regular, the regular stuff with. Yeah, we, uh, I still think there's a lot more to be studied, just like you're talking about with the ferments. Um, if anyone's not familiar with, uh, you know what? Actually, you might not even be familiar with this. If you aren't, you probably are. But if you aren't, you're gonna really like this one. So uh, are you familiar with the Dr. Duke's list? No, I'm not. Okay. So this is a huge database of plants. So, um, we can type in like, I need potassium. So I'm gonna type in potassium and then you can simply click potassium and then I can source by click lowest average parts per million. And you can see here, it lists a whole bunch of different plants by Latin name uh, and then, you know, what the mineral content is per parts per million. Uh, and you can, you know, click the plant, this is butter bar. Uh, gives you all the different, you know, lots of different compounds, hormones, what part of the plant it's found in, um, as well as minerals, uh, fat, fiber, you know, anything useful that exists for the plant data-wise, they try to, you know, and list the source as well, obviously, um, so that you have all that stuff. So it really is super useful if you're trying to um, build your own, formulate your own solutions, or even just you want to know like, hey, I have the, this list of plants in my yard. What is it useful for? You know what I mean? That that type of stuff. So if you do survey your farm, you can find out, oh, well, I, this has got strontium and it's got sulfur and it's got shit, even a little titanium in there. Um, uh, you know, it's got all kinds of funky stuff. But if you're looking for a specific like hormone or you know whatever you can find out you can search by just those hormones like i have no idea what this is but you could search you know some of these compounds you know some of these are in you know specific to the plant but um i'm sure there's ones that aren't um uh, that you can find with different alkaloids and other things too which is super interesting so if you're really into your chemistry you can find uh you know the ethno ethnobotany uses as well um, so yeah, oh, that is way cool. Ultra useful website and it has like 65,000 plants or something on it. It's something crazy. So super, uh, yeah, there you go. 49,788 entries. So, um, definitely if you aren't familiar with it and you are working on this type of stuff, it's definitely one of the best resources to know about and shout out to Cascadian grown for, uh, sending it to me. Yeah, that is really cool. I can't wait to just go down the list with all the stuff that I have and see what's actually doing the work. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's again, especially if you're trying to survey your own property, 
uh, or anything like that, it's definitely super useful um, for just, you know, finding out what it is on your property that has what in it, you know? Totally. Yeah. I'll throw the link in chat here too. Hold on, guys. People asking for that. Yeah, that's a super useful one. Yeah, you can find all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, depending on your level of chemistry background, it can be exceedingly useful. But it's, it's just neat because, you know, hey, if I want to try and be like, okay, well, I need, I know that I want roughly like this balance of nutrients of calcium and magnesium and potassium for flour and, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, or, hey, like I'm observing that my plants need this. I could have all of my FPJs sitting on the shelf and then mix and match those to make what I need. Or like we talked about with Quan Con Fem, uh, looking at some of the liquid IMO ferments, the long-term liquid IMO ferments and fermenting that way or lactobacillus ferments. And, you know, but we need to map all this stuff out. This is something that is going to, we're going to be talking about here in the next, next month or two. Uh, uh, on that. So anyways, some stuff, cool stuff in the works. But um, uh, this is really kind of the area that needs to be flushed out. And, you know, if we figured this out one time, once this is done, like the whole world benefits from all of this info, right? Like it allows farmers in any parts of the world to start mi mixing and matching and then maxing their farms based on nutrients, based off of stuff. It's just, hey, that's growing over there. We can use that for that, you know? And and yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's gonna cause some some people over harvesting things that shouldn't be, but it's also gonna allow us to utilize a lot of weeds and things that need to be gotten rid of and give them a, a maybe a monetary uh, way to fund themselves and the and the eradication of some of the invasive plants as well. So I I think it's a super cool thing, and you're already seeing that sometimes. Uh, there's that product uh, Regalia is based on knotweed, isn't it? Japanese knotweed. Um, that's again a. a you know, a lot of that's harvested from from the stuff that's, um, uh, you know, invasive. So, you know, it's definitely something that needs more uh, more stuff to it. Um, someone asks, do you save ferment your urine jadam style for nitrogen? No, the only time I've ever seen people actually do that for vegetable gardening, I lived out in the desert. They were taking horse manure and they were putting um, piss on it and composting it for like three to six months because the horse and llama manure and alpaca manure is very low in nitrogen compared to other ones. Um, so they were actually adding that to that for that reason. That's the only time I've ever seen anybody ever go to that extreme uh, with that. I mean, if you were like super trying to homestead it up in the middle of fucking nowhere, maybe, but I, you know, it's just too risky with all the different human to human stuff. It's just not worth it, you know, especially with like, I mean, it, just go back and watch the, not last time, but the time before we had Kevin McKernan on and he talked about how many different um, uh, like still alive coronaviruses were in a random store-bought bat guano, like not stuff that would necessarily infect you, but they were different species of those viruses that were still biologically active enough for them to, you know, tell they were still potentially potential to cause infection for something. And it doesn't mean that they're going to hurt people in any way. It just means that 
you know, there's a lot more things in your environment around you and in soil and other fertilizers and things that I think people realize. And, you know, I think that limiting any type of human waste in any type of plant growth is still a, a good, you know, overall a good idea. I know they do it in some countries. North Korea is a good example of a country that does it quite a bit for food production. Um, but there's plenty of different countries out there that still do it uh, as part of their fertilizer plan for their fields. Uh, and that's not that uncommon in different parts of the world. So definitely something that um, is still being done. But again, it, it can vector disease and it, it really should be avoided when possible. And you're far better off taking it, fermenting it, making ammonia and using it for tanning, you know, tanning your leathers and stuff like that. If you're really going to homestead it, it's probably a more useful, useful way to do it. They, they, and how they do it is they take it. They store it usually for two to three months and let it ferment all the way down. And then they strain it off and then they'll, they'll boil it and concentrate the ammonia that way, which is, you know, obviously something done outside, but, and then they take that liquid and then they use that for tanning leathers and all kinds of stuff, but it's pure ammonia basically at that point. But yeah, they used to pay people, a, you know, a piss pot or your piss pour is like, the only thing you have is like selling your piss from your, your piss can, your, your family piss can to, to the tannin guy. Like that's like old 1200s, 1300s shit. That's where that term comes from. Yeah. And that's actually where the, um, the term I got a pot to piss in is you're so poor that you don't even have a pot to piss in. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of, uh, uh what they're what's it called? Anthroponics. There's a whole like group of people that are trying to like make that work. There's a, I think there's even a subreddit for it called anthroponics or something like that. So uh, there is a movement for doing that, but I don't know, man. I think that we have plenty of other plant and animal sources that we can get good fertilizer from. I think we, we should diversify a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, totally. So um, one of the things that uh, at the last property I was working at, um, there was just an abundance of like, weeds that uh our our boss guy was like you need to like kill all those weeds and da, da, da. and i was like bro like you really don't like those are actually cover acting as a cover crop and helping us save water like you have no idea what you're talking about like yeah like certain plants will grow really big and you should probably just cut them at the base but definitely don't pull the roots out that's like pointless you know you're just like ripping out all this potential biology that's growing on those roots that could be trickled down to feed your plant, your cannabis roots, you know? And at the end of the day, that's another beneficial factor that most people don't really think about with cover crops is that the roots that are growing inside that cover crop have their own diverse biology on them. When you're watering, you're also pushing those and trickling them down into your cannabis leaves or your cannabis roots. So, And it's super important for plants like cannabis that don't have a lot of diversity in the mycorrhizal associations. Cannabis is was it three or five different mycorrhizae that have been confirmed that actually will colonize the roots themselves. But you can have hundreds of different types of mycorrhizae that are interacting with each other. So just because that that fungi isn't interacting with the, the one on cannabis doesn't mean that it's not still helping the, the cannabis plant. For example, um, uh, you could have a plant like some of the grasses that have 18 or 24 different species of mycorrhizae on them. 
uh, growing right you know at the base of your cannabis plant and those mycorrhizae are exchanging nutrients and enzymes with those five species on the cannabis plant and and that's benefiting the, the the cannabis plant that way so i like to explain it like a stock exchange right like they're exchanging minerals and enzymes and instead of of like um, metals and commodities and the the sugar that the plant exchanges for that is like the cash right so that's kind of and that's why if you add a lot of sugar um you're kind of doing two things one you're changing the exchange rate on the on the stock market for the simplification um, but you're also increasing the microbial population of back especially bacteria um so that that can kind of screw up that whole balance so that's you know ultra stupid simplified explanation of a horribly complicated uh thing but it is kind of more or less what's going on totally. people don't realize that with the the terp boosters and all the sugar you're just boosting the microbial levels that and that secondary microbial interaction is what's boosting it the plant's not sucking up the sugar and making terps that doesn't work that way no um, no what's actually really cool um that i found out is that you know like if you're feeding the jadam stuff like your jlf sometimes you know like we've actually fed it like really really high dosages like sometimes i've even fed it like one to 20 depending on how how gnarly it is you know and and if you're again if your plants are growing vigorously and you have a living soil environment sometimes this can be effective you know like the plants grew ridiculously amounts but you know at some point you are just like wasting your concentrate you know but um as far as like the KNF stuff, like Steve was saying, you have to be really worried about like overdoing it with stuff like that because the too much sugar can can create blooms of certain bacteria that are just going to die off as soon as they no longer have that food. And so really, if you're having a living soil, your goal is to have it for, you know, the foreseeable future until you no longer live there or die. Right. So, you know, if you're going to like boost and blue and make those blooms happen, you have to be backing it up with constantly re-inoculating or constantly adding in more stuff to feed your soil. And I feel like um, inoculating your soil is something that people don't do a lot. And so that's why I'm like a really huge advocate of making the Jadal microbial solution and feeding that throughout the life cycle. And so that stuff, uh, we even fed that in flour. And just like the barley, it also helped it boost the boost uh, the flowers growth rate. Oh yeah. Um, is, is there any um, other inputs uh, that maybe are less traditional that you're using in your mixes? I know you did. You're doing barley and kelp and some other stuff. Are you doing anything else as far as uh, interesting local plants or interesting you know anything else that you're doing that's maybe a little bit different? Totally. So like pretty much like any plant that's in the yard, I'll look it up. And if uh, there's actually a list online of the biodynamic accumulators, so you can just look up that list. And typically if, if I see a biodynamic accumulator that's growing in the yard, it's mine and I use it, you know? So just always be aware of like what you can use to make your ferments. And always remember that like, if you don't have any plants, say you just got to a property and there's just grass there, you can make Jadam liquid fertilizer out of grass. It's actually one of the first thing that's in the book. It tells you to do that. And you can actually also make your own mycelium with grass. We're actually doing that um, right now because uh, the backyard is, there's not even soil, dude. It's just clay. Like, I'm not even kidding. You dig down like maybe six inches and it's just solid clay. It's like the most difficult stuff to work with. So what I've done uh, 
for our garden boxes is I mixed it like one third with some other, uh, some Kellogg super mycorrhizae mix that we got from the store um, just because, you know, didn't have money to buy build the soil. But uh, yeah, so I would just like to point out that like when you have like an excess amount of clay and stuff like that, you can turn it into soil over time. So what we've been doing is um, just adding lots of organic matter to it and it's slowly like building up and now it's starting to turn brown and there's areas on the bottom where it's actually growing mycelium on the clay. And that's pretty cool because that signs that, you know, your fungi is digesting like serious rocks. So that means that you could, I, I'm actually planning on taking really strong strands of that and using it to uh, ferment, um, to make another Jadam barrel on the side with uh, basalt rock dust, like Fumidor was talking about. Because basalt rock dust is really untapped resource that most people don't really use. A lot of people just see it in their soil mix and they're like, oh, cool, volcanic rock dust or basalt rock dust, like that's cool. But they don't really understand how beneficial it really is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, you just have to make sure you get a good source from it. Make sure you do check those heavy metal uh, reports. And you, they should be legally available for any rock dust product that you can purchase. Um, again, super important on that because, again, especially for large-scale commercial, you can get yourself into trouble if you're using uh, too much of the wrong thing. They are uh, very good uh, for many different places. Um, alrighty. Um, uh, looks like you have to, to, to get going here. Um, do you Anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap it up? I want you to tell everybody how to find you and the different content that you're working on. Totally. So right now, all I got is my Instagram. Uh, it's at Willie Smokes Too Much. Uh, it's all one word. Um, yeah, just come over there, check my highlights. There's a bunch of little things that I've got, tips and tricks, like uh, also showcasing my different genome uh, barrels, what I did in the backyard. And um, yeah, I just really want everybody to just feel like super empowered because that's like the real goal behind natural farming and spreading this information is that like everyone should not be afraid to like make this stuff experiment, have fun, and feed their garden stuff that they make themselves, you know? Awesome. Well, um, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, and uh, yeah, it was super cool to have you on. And it was fun to kind of do a Monday show. And uh, we don't normally do Monday shows. Maybe we'll start doing those again. We'll kind of see how my schedule works, especially once I, uh, I leave the States again. It's going to get a little bit trickier. So. Uh, but yeah, for now, I think we'll try to do a Monday show again here, maybe next week. So thanks for coming on, man. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great night. Um, so uh, that was a lot, a lot of fun. It was super neat to have him on. Um, we will be back on Thursday. Uh, this week we have Zenthanol. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about his uh, latest research he's been working on for viruses. Uh, he's uh, worked on some white papers and some books and some other super awesome stuff on the topic of cannabis viruses and viroids. So that'll be a lot of fun to talk to uh, him on uh, uh, on that. Uh, and then tomorrow we'll be over at Fumidor and the Flavors. We'll have Jordan Rivers from um, Growcast uh, over on his show. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, what else is going on? Yeah, I think that's... Uh, That'll be it for now. Um, be sure to check us out over apmjclass.com if you need uh, education. If you're looking for um, uh, nutrients, we have apmjnutes.com. Uh, if you're needing uh, aquaponic nutrients, uh, we're also going to be having some super cool stuff we'll be launching here closer to Christmas. 
uh, to help aquarium growers that are have grow tents and aquariums next to their grow tents and need solutions for adding them to your cannabis. Uh, so we'll have some some super cool stuff coming out around that, as well as uh, you can go on to APMJ Nudes, pick your aquarium size and um, get the right nutrient dosing for your cannabis plants based on that, uh, if you're looking to do that. And then, um, yeah, we'll be doing some other cool stuff. We have some cool things that we're working on with some collaborations and some other cool people before I take off from the States uh, back to Africa for a month or two again here in a couple of weeks. Uh, come November, it looks like, uh, barring any delays, I guess, worst case, December, but right now looking like November, so that'll be fun. Um, uh, a different uh, group this time in a different part of the world, well, in South Africa instead of Zim this time, but it'll be fun. Uh, and um, we have some just super cool speakers lined up. We have uh, Wendy uh, from... Um, um, Wendy Kornberg, uh, she's a cannabis grower extraordinaire and uh, KNF queen. Uh, she is uh, uh, going to be talking to us about the conference that she's doing in February and then all the awesome research and stuff that she's been doing as well as her work with the um, uh, Ganjineer or Ganjir, uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, uh, certification, all the other awesome stuff that she works on. She's super great. Uh, and then we also have Season from Five Sisters Farms is going to be coming on the show. We have um, Matthew Gates coming on the show. We have uh, all kinds of awesome guests in the queue. So uh, we have uh, Brendan Rust in the queue. So we have uh, all different kinds of awesome people. And then just a ton of amazing speakers and presentations for the conference. Again, second weekend in November, November 13th and 14th. Uh, we have 26 hours of content coming at you. Um, hold on, I'll put the flyer up again so everyone has it. Um, be sure to uh, to retweet that and tell your friends. Uh, it will be free and live on Ponics. We're going to do some giveaways this time again, but uh, I think it's mainly going to be just true aquaponics or something because last year we had a bajillion issues with the mail. So... <laughs> I think we're going to do something a little bit different this time uh, and but we'll have a good time and uh again 26 hours speakers uh people from all a bunch of different countries we just got uh confirmed the guys from switzerland from symbiosid they're the only uh growers in switzerland right now doing commercial aquaponic cannabis so that'll be super awesome so lots of different speakers with different methodologies uh, on aquaponic cannabis so that'll be a lot of fun uh and then um yeah, all different types of stuff coming up. The aquaponic uh, conference is coming up for the Aquaponics Association. We also have BizCon coming up. So all different types of fun things coming up in the queue. But uh, all right, we'll catch you guys on Thursday with Matthew Gates talking about viruses. I'll see you guys tomorrow on Fumador and the Flavors. Um, you can find me on Aquaponics on your favorite podcast app, as well as YouTube, uh, which is where the show is always live. And uh, um, yeah, I, I will uh, we'll catch you guys again soon. And thanks for your support. It's been kind of a crazy week, but 